Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Wines from Italy can be a little confusing. That's particularly true when it comes to the wines from Veneto. Amarone, Ripasso, Corvina, all the same grape from the same place, yet they are distinctly different wines. I sat down with the delightful and energetic Nicola Biscardo of Conexport Italy and Marchese Biscardo to learn more about these wines from the home of Romeo and Juliet. Veneto. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Foodeter.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Foodeter.com. Hi, I'm John Lennart. Joining me today is Nicola Biscardo, Vice President of Conexport Italy and co-owner of Marchese Biscardo. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. What is Conexport Italy? Conexport Italy was an idea, you know, was a concept, was a, was a fun idea that my father had back in 1987 uh, when, you know, Italian wines and wines in general started getting extremely popular in the United States. So there was like a rush of importing wines and a lot of, and being an importer was a big business. So there were American importers coming to Italy with a strong dollar, buying a lot of wine there, putting a huge mark upon it and then reselling in the United States to um, remarketing in the United States. So uh, literally it was an idea that was born on a table uh, during an exhibition. You know, the wine world is a huge microcosm. Uh, we have millions of producers at the end that are always the same faces that you see around. So during a wine exhibition, you know, at the end of the exhibition, you go out for dinner and you go out with your fellow producers. And so at the table, my father talking with, uh, you know, with Luigi Toni, the owner of uh, Gaira of Winery up in Alto Adige, said, yeah, it's so expensive to do exhibitions, so expensive to go around and promote our wine, especially because we are very small producer. We don't deal with commercial wineries. So we don't buy grape, we don't buy wine. Everything is a state grown, produced and bottled, which means that we don't make millions of bottles of wine. So marketing expenses, are, they have a huge impact. So my father said, hey, Luigi, I don't make any white wine. I don't make any Pinot Grigio. Why don't you give me your Pinot Grigio when I go in the United States? I promote my Amarone. I promote your Pinot Grigio. We share the cost of traveling in two parts. And when you go, you present your Pinot Grigio, you present my Amarone. Again, we share in two parts. So quickly, Giuseppe Bonci from Market Region said, hey, you guys don't make any Verdicchio. Why don't you take also my Verdicchio and we share the cost of traveling in three parts? Sure enough, Agua Castellarin from Friuli said, hey, 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 wait a minute. Nobody makes Friuli wine here. Let's get my wine too, we divide it by four. So they said, wait, maybe we got something smart here. So six friends, Veneto, us, Friuli, Piedmont, Marche, Toscany, and, uh, and that's it, five regions, six regions. And uh, they got together and my father said, why, why don't we do something more? Why don't we put our wine available in the United States without an importer. We got our own importing license and we self-export or self-import ourselves. And that's exactly how Conespor was born. So Conespor is a group of family-owned independent wineries that decide to come to U.S. without any middleman. And we make our wine available here at much lower price because we shave one layer away. We started in six friends in uh, 1987. Now we are 32. But all with the same concept, family-owned, boutique, uh, estate-grown products, owners of estate, not people that bought into the business and they decide to all of a sudden start making wine. 
So we have multiple generations in the wine business, and you know, some are the third, some are the first, some are the seventh generation, some are the tenth generation. We have Cantina di Marzo in our group, just to make an example, and and that guy is the descendant of Scipione di Marzo, who in 1641 brought the grape of Greco in the town of Tufo, establishing the appellation. So it's the oldest winery in Tufo. So that's what the people that we're trying to connect with, like fun stuff, unusual stuff that are uh, the, the, the real heritage of Italy, basically. I, lo- I love that uh, if I see something with a Conexport Italy uh, label on it, import label on it, that I know it's going to be small production and family-owned, high quality. That, that really helps helps exactly. me as a consumer. Absolutely. There is a little compass rose on the back of the label that, you know, when you see the compass rose, that's us. How did you get into wine? I, I, I know your family is four generations yes. in the business, but how did you get there? It's, it's, a, it's a good point because uh, I, tell you the, I tell you the true story and then I tell you the funny story. Uh, um, basically... To me, honestly, the wine was a natural thing. When you grow up in such environment and, and you live and breathe that kind of thing, you don't even think about anything else. Uh, however, um, my family uh, got big and so they invested in different areas. So I, had, I, I was like a kid, I had, I had opportunities, I could choose. I could choose like, you know, completely like, you know, real estate or we have a furniture company that furnish uh, uh, booths at exhibition centers like we do several stuff so at the one point you know I was like actually at the beginning when I was a kid I didn't even know doubts then you know you grow up and you see the business aspect of it and you like oh maybe I could do this I could do that but really wine was a, a is in my gene uh, when I do my wine dinners I always say well I was conceiving a barrel of Amarone so for me it's it's just part of my blood um, my grandfather you know took me on the side and said you know you can be whoever you want in your life um, you have a world of opportunities but if you stay in the family business you will be in the best business in the world and I was a kid so I said well I Take your word. I mean, you're my grandpa. I don't know why. I don't understand it. But if you say so, I believe you. Nicola, it's very simple to understand. If you sell wine, you make good money and you have a very happy life. If you don't sell it, you drink it yourself and you have a happy life anyway. <laughs> so I said, well, what's for me? Uh, so that's how. What, what wines are being made at Marchese Piscardo? At Marchese Piscardo, we make the typical wine from Valpolicella. And, uh, and I know that it can be a little bit confusing. When you talk about Valpolicella, you say everything and you say nothing. Uh, to me, that I, as I said, that I was conceiving a barrel of Amarone, when you say Valpolicella, you say the keywords. There is nothing more simple than a Valpolicella. But I understand that it can be a little bit intimidating. So we make the typical Valpolicella wines. And what I mean by that? Um, in Valpolicella, you grow indigenous grape, primarily. And the grape of the Valpolicella, first of all, Valpolicella is the name of the valley. Val means valley, Valpolicella, the valley of the polis many cellars, the valley of the many wineries. Uh, Cella in terms of not a winery, what today it is, because the Romans didn't know a winery as a winery, but La Cella as the cave, as where you storage the stuff, because there were many caves, there are still today many caves. Other thing says that 
La cella where the different creeks, because it's alluvial soil, so they call it the celle, the different creeks that go down and build the valley. So there are different opinions from the origins of the name Valpolicella. But bottom line, the, the valley of the many cellars, of the many, of the many wineries. So in this valley, beautiful valley, you grow primarily three varietals, Corvina, Rondinella and Molinara. Corvina, Rondinella and Molinara are the three grapes for the Valpolicella wine, which is a blend. It's a field blend, and it's not a blend of wine, which means that when our friends are taking finally a plane at the land to Verona and want to visit the valley, they will not see a vineyard of Corvina, a vineyard of Rondinella and a vineyard of Molinara. It's all mixed in. So it's all co-fermented. Co-fermented all together is a big, forgive me, orgy of grapes in the same tank. Now, there is also Corvinone, just if you want to make things more complicated. Oh yes, it is, we have Corvinone. Corvinone is a variation of the Corvina, it's a clone of the Corvina. One in Italian means always big. Ino means little, as a slang. So Corvinone means the big Corvina. It's a basically a Corvina with thicker skin uh, that, you know, you know, the story of the wine is written in the skin, so bigger skin, more phenolic component, more, more flavors, more colors, more tannins, more of everything. Uh, we also have Dindarella in Valpolicella, which is another indigenous grape. We have Uzeletta, which is another indigenous. So we have many indigenous. What is really fascinating is that most of the varietal in Valpolicella carries the name of a bird. So Corvina comes from Corvo. Corvo is the crow, so it's called the crow grape. Why? Because the crow hits the berry. That's what they told me. No way. Every bird is right. it's, it's it's the berries. It's it's fruit, because you have to look with the eyes of the people in the Middle Age. The skin of the Corvina is so dark and shining that in the oh, mentality of the people like the crow. resemble the feathers of the crow. So they call it the crow grape. La rondinella is the swallow. Luzeletta is the springboard. So we have all different birds with the names. So romantically, we say that Valpolicella is the valley that flies because all the, all birds, the birds are hanging in the vineyards instead of the grape. That's so Italian romantic. It's very, it's very <laughs> Don't forget, the wine always talk about the people. And Verona is the city of Romeo and Juliet. So we make stylistically very romantic wine. Big and soft, I always say. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, these big wines, big wines are typically known to come from regions that are warmer, hotter. But that's that's, that's not, not Verona. No. In Valpolicella, I always say we make only one wine that is called Valpolicella and carries different name according to the style and to the wine technique that you're using to make it. What I mean by that? In Valpolicella, if you grow those three grapes, Corvina, Rondinella, and Molinara, you make Valpolicella wine. A Valpolicella, regular Valpolicella, due to the colder climate, the temperature drop between day and night, especially if you grow in the upper part of the, of the hill, the upper part of the valley, when you increase this temperature drop. During the day, very steep hill, beautiful exposure, sun really hits well, and so generates all that sugar, that body but then at night the temperature drops so 
so drastically so you keep that beautiful acidity you keep those beautiful flavors the valpolicella can be extremely easy drinking light fruity as you will imagine any wine from the area from the northern colder part however if you take the grape and you don't squeeze them you gently bring it at the winery they must be perfectly intact you cannot put a second layer on top otherwise they squeeze itself so and you lay them down on straw mats and you let them raisin and you wait enough then the grape lose anywhere between 25 to 30 percent of the water goes with the angel shrink wrinkle and dry out and with this old wrinkled and raisinated grape you squeeze them and you make this humongous wine called amarone however again it's always the same wine i mean it's always the same grape from the same valley that gets treated in two different ways before we get into talking specifically about each of the wines um obviously what they have in common is corvina yes sir what does corvina taste like tell me about that grape corvina is a beautiful varietal because it's a varietal that according to where you grow it and how you grow it gives you different type of complexity keeping the quality what i mean by that a lot of people here in the united states confuse the two words quality with the word complexity and it's my crusades really to make the point on this god gave us two different words because there are two different meanings quality is how the wine is made complexity is what the wine can deliver and a lot of time when i when i sample the wine out they said oh this one is very nice very simple very easy then i, I taste my big guy and i said oh this one is much better quality i said no the quality is absolutely the same the complexity is different but what would what would the flavor profiles of corvina be in general the the flavor of the corvina really really changes according to how you how you make it because as i said before in the valley the winemaking makes a difference a a regular corvina what you get like from a regular valpolicella like a, a valpolicella doc what you get is very fresh perfumes so a lot of fresh fruit and a lot of flowers like uh, like uh, uh, roses like violet flowers but the fresh petals not the dry the dried, right. uh, you get cherries and, pr- and plums but not the prunes like fresh plums you get some cassis like uh, when we talk about wine it's very simple because you can name the same fruit for each wine because bottom line every wine reveal a lot of the same flavors the thing is how many it will reveal and in which in which order and from what is the progression where, sure. where the wine goes however if you take a valpolicella superiore for example then you add one year of aging uh, you must guarantee a minimum by the law of 12.5 percent alcohol and one year of aging that's what the law says taking for granted that if you do so you already started from a better selection of grape because if it was enough to age a wine longer to get it better we would age all the wines a lot and we would make all great wines it doesn't work like that if the law says minimum of one year of age and minimum 12 percent alcohol they assume that you as a farmer you collect your best grape that they can go through that intense training so the corvina gets more complex you get some spices then you start getting cinnamon you start getting uh, uh black pepper you start getting tobacco you start getting licorice uh, you get caramel 
or you can go through the raisining process and then you open the Pandora box. Base. Pandora base? The Pandora base? Pandora base. Oh, Pandora's box. But Pandora's box. Anything could happen. Because then the flavor, they get crazy and exponential. And from there, it's when they ask me, what does it taste like? Well, I'm telling you, Amarone tastes like Amarone. <laughs> you have to try it. I can tell you what it feels like. Like, I can give you the mouthfeel, but the perfume profile, that's the beautiful surprise that you know when you open the bottle. Everybody quickly says, oh, you get the raisiny component. Now, I don't want to sound bad, but I must say this, because when it comes to Amarone, I'm a very particular guy and I'm not very forgiving in the sense that, yes, Amarone comes from raisin grape. Therefore, what you get are the raisin components. Now, we don't have to confuse raisins from oxidation. And because of the fact that Amarone come from raisin grape, there are a lot of producers that get away with a lot of oxidized wine. So, so you lose that freshness. Exactly. So how do you make it cheap? You leave more residual sugar, then you burn your sugar, you oxidize your sugar, and you get that fake raisiny thing that jump in your face and there is nothing else. We said it before, wine is all about complexity. It's all about layers. If there is only one predominant flavors in your face, why should I spend 80 bucks, 100 bucks, right. 300 bucks? There is no reason. So why some wine, Nicola, are oxidized, we toss it in the sink, and, and Amarone, we spend a lot of money? Because the raisins are just the frame around. That dry fruit, dry figs, dry dates, uh, uh, prunes, uh, uh, that sweet memory, don't forget, Amarone is dry. When I say sweet memory, it resembles something that was sweet but finished very dry. So that is the frame that identified what Amarone is and what is his identity. But then inside you got to find tobacco, leather, licorice, chocolate, caramels, uh, uh, coffee beans, uh, uh, plums, prunes, like a variety of, variety of different flavors that come in waves. If I just get raisiny in my face, and nothing else. It's and nothing else. It's a boring, monodimensional, dead wine. And the color doesn't lie. So there, there's the, the, the five different uh, styles, styles. Of that we yes. talked about. Uh, the Repasso is quite different than the rest of those. Tell me a little bit about Repasso, what that is. It's, it's and quite how it, different. how it's related to Amarone. It's quite different. Thank you for asking me that. Because Repasso is one of the wines that I'm most attached to it. Um, because... The Ripasso is the transition from the everyday wine into the big wine. We already talked about the Amarone. You cannot talk about Ripasso without talking about Amarone because they belong one another. So we already made it clear. The regular Valpolicella is made harvesting the grape, squeezing them, ferment them, age and sell like any other winemaker. The big Amarone is made with raisining the grape for four months and then therefore you get such a big full body that it takes four five six seven years of aging to get really soft gentle and elegant and therefore the price goes too high well this was the same is is today but was the same years back 60 years ago 100 years ago 300 years ago now let's not make confusion Amarone as Amarone 
wasn't born too long ago with the name Amarone on the label. But that procedure of raisining the grape and making a wine is lost in memories. Even the Romans were doing so. So why they were doing so? Because every wine turns to vinegar. Not anymore today, because we know everything. We know about the yeast, we know about the bacterials, we know everything. We have microfiltration, we have... But again, think about it, for 3,000 years they were experimenting. Uh, we have amazing poems from Plinio il Vecchio or from Virgil, uh, uh, from the Roman time. They were already classifying the wine back then. They were already telling the wine from the Falernus in Campania is so beautiful. The wine from the Val Policella is so good. So, but the entire explanation of the fermentation was actually uh, explaining. So we were like, you pick the grape in this part of the of the valley you take it back you squeeze on it and and then the entire fermentation process was explained as and it happens that <laughs> that's it and it happens that they could they have no other way to explain it it happens that if you squeeze it it bubbles it gets warm then it gets cold again it doesn't bubble anymore you drink it you get drunk so the only way was that it's gonna be god it's gonna be god that plays with it so it's gonna be bacchus the god of wine that jumps in the in this pool of grape juice plays with it that's why bubbles so much and makes it something so divine the problem was that it was going to vinegar because nature doesn't care for wine that much cares for vinegar it's like a long story so to make it sh short they realized that if there is sugar the wine doesn't become vinegar anything with sugar in it doesn't become vinegar it doesn't rotten and that was a genius intuition that the Romans had. But he didn't have sugar though, because sugar came from China way later. But they had honey. Honey was the sugar of the Romans. So, hmm, but we can put honey, and they were adding honey, and the honey was keeping the wine alive longer, but it was actually changing too much the flavor. But the, then another intuition is like, well, if we dry the grape, they notice by mistake that it'd be when sweeter the drier grape. Those are sweeter. If they're sweeter, probably they're not gonna turn into vinegar. So that's how the Amarone was born. Amarone was born as a mistake. The idea was to have a sweet wine. They were raising the grape to have something sweet, not to have something dry. So they were they were raising the grape, they were making a wine that was called still called Recciotto, which is the sweet version of the Amarone. And then by mistake the Amarone became They vinified it dry. They vinified it dry, which was a total mistake. My grandfather, God bless him, never called the Amarone with the word Amarone. He always used a dialect expression. He called the Amarone Recciotto Scapa. Scapa means escape. Escape Recciotto. He's a Recciotto that ran away. We couldn't stop it. <laughs> so he ran. And, and so the Amarone was a mistake to begin with. But royalty understood quickly that that mistake was much better than the other wines. But unfortunately, it was so long, the process was so difficult, the process was so expensive, the process that the farmer could not afford to drink it. So the farmer were drinking little, most of the time, lousy Valpolicellas, and all the landowners and the royalty were drinking the big Amarone. So what is the ripasso? Well, once the Amarone is totally fermented, now we are in the middle of February, you take the skin out, wine goes in the barrel to age, and skin goes in the garbage. 
they don't go in the garbage, but you dispose them, okay? Before disposing the skin of the Amarone, you take the Valpolicella Superiore and you pour it back on top of the skin of the big Amarone. Of the must. Of the must. And you leave it there and you do all pump overs, you stir it, you know, you do all pump overs for other five, seven days, it depends on the vintage. So the Valpolicella steal the flavors developed by the Amarone. And it's called Valpolicella Ripasso. So basically you repass the Valpolicella over the skin, the must and the lees of the big Amarone. So it was actually a cheating way, if you want, to make wine. But then, you know, it was funny because, uh, hey, everybody are so lazy, but during fermentation, everybody are fighting to, to actually go get the grapes. Oh, don't worry, sir. We take care of the skin. Don't worry. We clean it up. We clean it up. But how come everybody is so excited about it? <laughs> because they find out what they were doing. And that technique, little by little, got perfected, got, uh, um, I can say, refined, mm -hmm. and became an official winemaking technique called ripasso, like re repassing. That's really fascinating. So today we're going to taste uh, the, the, the Corvina. Yes, sir. The Ripasso. And the Amarone. And the Amarone. Yeah, it's the best way to actually find out how the Corvina develops. You know, what I, what I told you before, like how you can really play with your complexity and, and the route the wine gets. Because again, it's the same wine with three different names and three different winemaking. Let's taste some wine. We start from the Corvina. We start from the Corvina because, again, this is where everything starts. Um, Corvina being the number one uh, grape from Valpolicella. Uh, this one is supposed to be 100% Corvina. It is 100% Corvina, at least on the label. You know that as soon as you have 85%, you can actually call it varietal. So this one, it has a touch of Valpolicella and a touch of Molinara. So this is basically uh, what is our Valpolicella Superiore that is prepared uh, to be ripasso, but that we do not repass. Why so? Because I always say, when I say that we are a small boutique producer and all our wineries are, I mean it. Which means that the wine is not a recipe. The wine is made according to the vintage. I always say that a good producer make only an exclusively good wine. It doesn't matter what the vintage is. But that doesn't mean that you do the wine the same way. Sure. It doesn't mean that the vintage means nothing. You have to make the wine according to the vintage. So if you make the wine according to the vintage, then your wine talks about the vintage and express the characteristic of that vintage. To have a ripasso, you really start, if you make it properly, if it's not like a marketing thing, you have to prepare a wine that has the shoulder big enough to go through this very stressful procedure because repassing the wine over secondary fermented skin it's very dangerous you can get a lot of volatile acid you can get a lot of bretonomyces the wine can get dirty vinegary barnyardy the wine can really be destroyed so it's like if i if you join the marathon without any training you have a heart attack either not finish it or you die on the way right. so we need to Pass for, the, for, for a lack of better words, you have to train your Valpolicella Superiore in a way that can support that technique. So we prepare a bunch of it, but then it's going to be God that tells me when I take the skin out of the Amarone to say, okay, on over those skin, I can repass X amount of Valpolicella mm -hmm. or not. So this one is my declassified uh, Valpolicella Superiore. 
that we declassified into a Corvina di Verona, we don't have to pay for the state stamp, which is this little thing over here on the other <laughs> yeah, ones. Yeah. And that costs a lot of money in taxes. So that one makes me save money and I pass the savings along to my, to my customers. Sure. So I can provide a very full body wine, elegant, fun, beautiful color. Look, look at the yeah, color. Yeah, really pretty. It's, it's deep, but it's still delicate. Exactly. Everybody can make a big wine. Not everybody can make an elegant wine. A big and elegant wine. Exactly. So, as you said, this wine has a nice natural grace in it. That's the characteristic. It, the color is deep. The nose... Super floral. and It's very floral. Bright red berries. You get a lot of very clean perfumes out of it, but it drinks so nicely. Mm, lovely. Great texture. I mean, it's... As beautiful texture keeps the acidity i'm obsessed with acidity acidity it's the backbone of a wine is the spine of the, of the wine is what makes the wine stand up does it spend time in wood how much yes this one spends uh um this one spends about six to eight months in the barrel in the big barrel big barrel we do we do only slovenian oak on the on the uh, valpolicella wines but you get, you get all that nice complexity and do you know the retail price on this one? This one we are roughly uh, we are roughly uh, like seventeen dollars, oh. 16, 17. So that's a great value. It's a great value, as what I said. Uh, we wanted to to bring a wine that really over delivers, and so by paying less taxes, we can sure. actually pass the savings alone by declassifying it. You will never if if you if we do a straight 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 blind mm -hmm. tasting. Yep. With other wines that are in a $25 range, uh, people would never believe there is not even a dollar below that, that price. No, I mean, it's that $20 range is kind of a, a, an important place. I think that's where you really start finding it easier to find good quality. Absolutely. You get below $20, you're... Uh, but you, you to find it. a wine of this quality below 20 bucks a bottle is spectacular. It's not easy. Yes, exactly. And it's good. It's fun. Perfect. Yeah. That was, that was our goal, that you get something that really over delivers and open many doors for me. Thank so you. we look at the same kid with the steroids, okay? You know, the same kid that went through the ripasto technique. So the same uh, initial juice that actually repassed over the skin of the Amarone and became a Valpolicella ripasto. This wine should resemble all the flavors that you felt before with all the raisining components but the raisining not the oxidation and again look at the color of this yeah, kid nope still bright and youthful no brown at all again it's it's actually the color seems to be a little more delicate than the corvina yes because uh, aging an extra year of oak the color the wine lose part of the color there is when we talk about uh, um, winemaking, it's all about oxidation and oxidoreduction. So those, those are the uh, uh, chemical uh, reaction that happen in the wine during his, the barrel aging and everything. So the wine, of course, lose some of the color because as this micro-oxygenation that happens with this osmotic exchange between the external oxygen and what actually comes through the porosis of the wood, gets into the into the wine mm -hmm. so the wine gets more elegant color in my opinion yeah. um, because um, 
I, I personally don't like when the wine is so dark that you can see Inky through. Inky and you can't see through it, right, yeah. Because when the wine sees some serious aging, you can actually see through. Now, uh, this wine is a wine that is meant to last. So there, you will see that the raisins are not slapping your face. They're actually, you have to work on it. You gotta, because we just pulled the cork right yeah, now. It's, it's, you, it's a shy nose it's, for sure right now. It's still, you know, something that it will deliver more and more and more and more. But it's not the predominant raisiny thing in your face, which will be very annoying in a while. Now you start getting, I got, I got menthol, you know, more than raisins right now. And, uh, and now it's that the more mature fruit is really coming together. But again, this wine will be at the table with us in our food. We will have this one over a conversation that at least is an hour. And so the wine will reveal all these flavors. My grandfather was used to tell me, if you say everything at the first date, then they'll ask you out yeah, again. Right. But if you look smart and interesting, you get a second chance. Make your wine the same way. Second glass, better than the first one. And third one, better than the second one. A lot more berry. A lot, of, lot more berry. More tannins. The wine gets on the palate easier than the Gregora Corvina because it's more delicate, it's more glycerin, but then leaves leaves stays longer. It leaves it doesn't leave that as easy mm -hmm. as it came in. While the Corvina comes in to be more aggressive because it's younger, because it's not it's not as educated as a kid that went already to the college and did already two, three years of business is still kind of emotional and a little bit more irrational, but then leaves faster. This one is that as much more gentle approach because it has more manners, is more educated, is more elegant, but then stays longer. The uh, lingers oh, Yeah, longer. for sure it's a longer wine. Um, it's a little less... The, the texture's a little more elegant yes. as opposed to the the corvina was really lush and out there yeah, and exactly. kind of like wrapped you up uh the texture on the rapasso is a little more sophisticated with a wine like this we can actually spend you know other two hours well, this on will the glass. continue to develop for hours and it'll be completely and different that's what i mean when i say when they give me those fakes wine that are nothing but resonated oxidized sugar in my face Oh, you get a lot of raisins. And five minutes later, oh, you get even more raisins. Oh, now you get even more raisins. Right. Like, seriously? Now, this one is a wine that we will pretend to get all the flavors because it's the 2010, which is the vintage that everybody wants. And, yes. uh, and it's also a wine that you will start talking in an hour from now. The Amarone is 2010 Amarone. Very, very pretty. Very floral. A little bit of like kind of dusty rose dusty right now yes yeah uh, so again the raisins you barely feel them now i don't smell raisin in this you at, barely in, at all in an hour from now oh yes so why because this is a wine meant to last talking about before 15 years I would be disappointed any day less than 15. And so it's definitely that kind of enveloping lush absolutely uh, texture. The, the tannin balances it out. The fruit is by no means dried right now. I mean, I it's it's to me it's fresh cherry and a fresh little bit cherry, of strawberry. Yeah. There's there's some herb. They come back on the back of the palate. You start getting the raisins. 
Yeah, on yeah. the very back. The the acidity for me is big on the mid palate actually, mm-hmm. um, and I just keep tasting it through. I always say, don't forget Romeo and Juliet, and this wine as the soul of Romeo and Juliet. The Amarone has the balls of Romeo and the boobs of Juliet. That's exactly what this wine is. It's power with silkness, power with elegance. For sure. Well, it was wonderful to taste the different expressions of the same grape, uh, one to the next to the next. It's fun, yes. So, uh, Nicola Biscardo, Vice President of uh, Conexport Italy and co-owner of Marchese Biscardo, thank you so much for joining me today. It was wonderful to taste your wines and learn so much about Volpiacella. Thank you, John. Thank you for the great opportunity you gave me. It was a lot of fun, and let's do it again next time. Let's do it. Thank you so much. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>